Well, good morning, Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. Good morning. Still pretty quiet. Good morning. There we go. Happy New Year to all of you, too. Um, we're going to start off singing this morning as we, as we normally do. I just wanted to say, you know, Happy New Year. And we're all just going to, I, well, Ann and I, at least, we went hiking yesterday, and we, that was how we set our New Year intentions. Like, we want to say we're going to be outside this year, but we agreed that we're just going to set the bar low this year and see how it goes and go into the New Year with not as great expectations, perhaps, but hoping for better. So why don't you stand and we'll sing this morning.
may be seated. Good morning. Good to gather with you here this morning. If you're visiting or new, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church, and it's a joy to gather with you and worship with you this morning, the first Sunday of a new year. I hope you had a joyful and good holiday season. Um, and yeah, pray that the new year is off to a, a good start for you. There's a couple things I want to draw uh, your attention to. As a, as a church, we want to be about three things. We want to be about reaching people with the gospel, growing to be like Christ, and then serving others. So, it's as a, a way to grow. Like Many of us are kind of starting this new year off with thinking about new ways we can grow to be more like Christ. And so in your bulletin, there's a list of a couple of resources there that I think are helpful in that. Not that that's an exhaustive list, but you may find those helpful. Uh, one thing that's not in your bulletin, but I wanted to mention, right, so this morning, because of the holiday, we're not having our typical Sunday school hours. There's no children's Sunday school this morning. There's no kind of cross-training summer discussion after the sermon. But in lieu of that, you may be aware, especially those of you who are on our prayer chain or familiar, like, there have been some just pretty significant medical concerns in our church family recently. And so, we're going to have a time after the service um, just to gather together for those of you who want to join us just to pray for people in our church family who are going through some hard medical um, situations. And so we will gather probably 10.30, maybe a little before. I think we'll probably gather over in the library area, try to create a little more intimate setting over there. Just gather over there and we'll just pray together. Um, so there's some that we're aware of that we'll pray for, but if there's others that maybe we're not aware of that you want to bring to our attention and pray for during that time, we'd invite you to do that as well. We just want to have a time of prayer and ask God to be at work in the lives of people who are really going through some, some challenging medical situation right now. So we just invite you to join us for that. With that in mind, let's, let's pray together now. Father God, we... Thank you for this time to gather and to be together as your people in this place. Praise you that you've brought us to this kind of fresh new year where we kind of often think about yeah, starting fresh. And we come to you and we reflect on the past year, just aware of all the ways we maybe fell short last year of gold we set at the beginning of 2021 that we fell short of, the way we failed ourselves or failed others during the year. But we praise you for your grace, for your forgiveness in those things. And we pray that your mercies are new every morning and can come before you. Trust that you have forgiven any past failures, any past sin. I look forward to ways that we can honor and glorify and serve you in the days and the year ahead. Father, we, we do pray for, for those in our church family who are going through really hard and serious health conditions and for their loved ones who are affected by those as well. For, for, for Josie and for Trevor and for 
Barb and others who are going through uh, really hard times that you bring them comfort and strength to them. You'd be with their loved ones who are there to support them, that you would give them comfort and strength and endurance as well. Yeah, well they just feel an overwhelming sense of your presence with them in the midst of these challenges. That you would be at work in each of our lives as at various times we each walk through dark and hard seasons. That you would remind us of your goodness even in the midst of those challenges. We would see your faithfulness. You would help us to comfort those who are in need of comfort well, to love them well. That you would be at work in each of our lives this morning to draw us closer to yourself, to conform us more and more into the image of your Son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to stand and we continue in worship this morning.
to happen, like I had to spend a fair amount of time in a waiting room, waiting for this appointment, just kind of biding my time while I was, until I was called back. And then after that appointment, I had to go to the grocery store, and like, at the grocery store I discovered that like, everyone and their brother was doing their New Year's Eve shopping, right, and so it was just packed, and I had to stand in line for quite a while waiting to, to check out. And both of those experiences raised kind of an important question in my head. And it's a question, which is really for those of you who are older than me, which, let's be real, of most of you, right? <laughs> and that question is this. Like, like, what did you do in those situations before smartphones? Right? Because, like, in both of those situations, right, the second I knew I had to wait for a little bit, like, the first thing I did was pull out my phone to distract myself. And it's like, what did you do before that was an option? Like, like I have this vague recollection right, of, like, as a kid sitting in a doctored waiting room, like, and I think I was, like, home, like, sick from school. So this is, like, daytime during the week. I'm in the doctored waiting room, and, like, there's a TV kind of up in the corner. Right, because it's daytime during the week, it's, like, showing soap operas or something. And, like, there's, like, a couple magazines that are, like, four years old sitting on the table next to me that I had no interest in, and I was just like bored out of my mind. But thankfully, because I was a kid, like, I didn't have that experience that, that terribly often. But like, for those of you who are adults who had to do like, boring adult stuff before there were smartphones, like, I don't know how you did it. Like, how did you survive the DMV? Like, like if I was going to the DMV and I realized I forgot my phone, like, I would leave and come back another time. Like, you cannot pay me enough to go into the DMV without my phone. Like, it just couldn't happen. Right? Like, we can debate all day, like, whether smartphones as a whole are an overall good or negative for society, right? They, they certainly have their issues. But, like, the one thing I'm pretty confident of is that they make, like, long periods of waiting far more bearable. If I know I'm going to be waiting somewhere for a long time, I'm glad to have my cell phone. But here's the thing about smartphones. Like, 
Like, every time I pull out my phone, like, I have the choice to make. Like, like, I can use all the features and the power of my smartphone in a way that's positive and redemptive. Right? I can, like, open up the Kindle app and read a good book, or I can open my Bible app and read my Bible, or I can, like, send an encouraging text message to someone. Like, I can use my phone in good ways. Or I can open Twitter. Right? Or Facebook, right? Or truly waste my time in an entirely unredemptive, unhelpful kind of way. Like when, the point being, like whenever we find ourselves waiting for something, like we have a choice to make about how we're going to use that time while we wait. We can use that time waiting either positively or negatively. We can choose to use it well, or we can choose to waste that time. And nowhere is that more ultimately true than in how we choose to spend our time as we wait for Jesus' return, as we wait for his second advent. So that's what I want to just consider this morning for a little bit. Like, how do we use our time well while we wait for Jesus? While we wait for his second coming, his second advent? How do we live this life now waiting well? Like, what did Jesus tell us to do with our time? Before we get there, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the next couple of weeks. Right? So as you, you may know, like my wife Vanessa is expecting our next child very soon, hopefully fairly soon. And so, like, like we're getting into that he could come any time territory. And so I don't want to like be caught, like, have her go into labor on a Saturday night, and then like, what are we going to do on Sunday? So for the next three weeks, there will be different people up here um, preaching for you, and so just be aware of that. I'm looking forward to hearing from those individuals, and then I'll come. I'll be back on January 30th to preach for the next time. And when we do that on the 30th, we'll kind of jump back into the series we've been going through on and off for the last over a year now, going through the book of Luke. So that's kind of the rough plan. The next three weeks, you'll have different people preaching, and then I'll be back on the 30th with the book of Luke, which means that this sermon this morning, kind of the last in our final series that kind of stretched through Advent and then up through kind of beyond Advent now, where we've been focusing on this idea of waiting for Christ. And so throughout Advent, we focused on how the people of the Old Testament waited for Jesus to come for the first time. And now these weeks after Advent, we've been thinking about how it, what it is, means for us to be waiting for Jesus' second Advent, his second coming. And so last week we we considered what God, or why God waited so long right, to send his Messiah. Why 2,000 years ago was just the right time for God to send his Messiah. And this morning, as I said, I want to then now ask the question, like, while we wait for this second advent, while we wait for Jesus to come again, like, how do we live in the meantime? And Jesus gives us kind of a very direct answer to that question in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. So especially the second half of Matthew 24 and all of Matthew 25. And he answers the question through a series of parables. Right? There's these, these short little stories that are intended to teach us a lesson. <clears throat> and so this morning we're going to focus on one of those parables. It's the parable found in verses 31 through 46 of Matthew 25. Right? The parable of the, the sheep and the goats. But before we get there, I just want to quickly look at what Jesus have to tell us in the parable kind of leading up to that one, because they all kind of build on one another. Right? And so, 
there's a series of stories that are meant to teach us that while we wait, we should wait. Several different ways. And the first one is that we should wait expectantly. So in Matthew 24, starting in verse 36, Jesus says this, But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. There's a lot that we could say here about this whole parable. We're not going to focus on it this morning, but the main point is that Jesus could come at any moment. So we should wait expectantly. So if you think you can kind of like read the signs, right? read your newspaper carefully enough and know when Jesus is going to come back, right? this passage tells us that's not the case. That Jesus will come unexpectedly. As in the days of Noah, like people were just out and about doing their thing, and all of a sudden the flood came. We should wait expectantly. Like we should wait for Jesus' second coming, as if it could come at any minute. So first, we should wait expectantly. And then second, at the start of Matthew 25, we have this parable of the ten virgins. And like we won't get into that whole, the details of that, but the parable teaches us that Yes, Jesus may return at any moment. But also, this parable teaches us that well, we, it may be any moment, it also may be a long wait. And so this, that we should wait patiently. We need to wait for Jesus to return with patience. And then finally, in Matthew 25, through verses 14 through 30, there's a parable of the talent, which again, we won't get into this morning. But the point of that parable is that while we wait, we should use the resources that God has given us faithfully. That we should use the time and the resources and the money that God has given us faithfully. And so if we could just kind of summarize those three parables, we could say that Jesus wants us to wait expectantly. He may come any moment. And wait patiently. It may be a while. And wait faithfully. Using the resources that God has given us well. And that brings us to our passage this morning. And I think what Jesus wants, Jesus wants us to see in this passage is that while we wait, not only should we wait expectantly and patiently and faithfully, but we should also wait lovingly. And so with that in mind, let's read this passage together. Starting in verse 31 of Matthew 25, we read this. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. 
I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did, you see a str- when did we see a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the angel, for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. If I could just kind of summarize that whole passage, boil it down to one sentence, it would be this. While waiting for Jesus' second advent, those made righteous by Jesus will love their brothers and sisters in need. So as we, we go through the passage this morning, I kind of want to think about three questions with you that kind of fall under this main idea. Basically, the first question is, what are we waiting for? And the second question is, like, how do we wait well? And then the third question is, who enables us to wait well? So the first question I want to think about is, like, what exactly is it that we're waiting for? And the answer we see in this passage is that we're waiting for Jesus' second advent, his second coming. And we get, a, we get a description of that event in verses 31 through 33 of this passage. Let me read them again. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the, angel, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the, angels, all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And so there's like no end to, to jokes that start with the phrase, like, there are two types of people in this world. Right? And like most of them are really bad. Right? But my favorite one is this. There are, there are two types of people in this world. Those who can extrapolate from incomplete data. Right? So if you're laughing, you're the first type. In reality, like, there's no end of ways that we can, we can break people into groups. Right? There's, like, are you a peanut butter or a creamy peanut butter person or a crunchy peanut butter person? Are you a Pepsi person or a Coke person? Like, we love to categorize and split people into groups. Right? But of all the ways that we might divide people, split people into groups, the only one that really matters, that ultimately matters, is this one. Like, are you a sheep or a goat? Are you the, among the righteous or the unrighteous. 
Right? When Jesus comes again, this verse tells us that he won't come as a helpless baby this time. Right? He's going to come in glory and majesty and in power, and he's going to sit on his throne. The throne, right? the picture of both his power to rule and his power to judge. And from that throne, all the nations, like everyone on earth, will be gathered before him. And he will divide those people into two groups, the sheep and the goats. And nothing matters more than which of those two groups you end up in. Because it determines your eternal destiny. Jesus says that the sheep, those who are declared righteous, will inherit the kingdom of God and have eternal life. While the goats, those who are unrighteous, will be cast out of Jesus' presence into eternal fire and eternal punishment. I'm like, I know that's not a super popular sentiment. The idea that some people will face eternal punishment is not particularly popular. Right? In fact, there are like, people... Rob Bell, for example, who have shown that you can sell a lot of books if you claim that no one will go to hell. Again, frankly, like that whole idea like, makes me uncomfortable too. Like, I'd, there's a part of me that like wants Rob Bell to be right. That doesn't want anyone to go to hell. But but these are the words of Jesus Himself. Then He will say to those on His left, "Depart from Me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire." prepared for the devil and his angel. Like, Jesus says that. And at, and at the end of the line, like, as uncomfortable as it makes me, like, I'm going to trust that, that Jesus is all-wise, all-good, all-knowing God, and I'm not. And so this is how like, history comes to a close. With Jesus returning to sit on his throne and to judge the living and the end and to usher everyone into eternity, either eternal punishment or eternal life. We could spend a long time like, getting into the details of what the Bible teaches us about that day, what it looks like and all these things. We don't have, we don't have time to get into all the details this morning. But here's the important thing I want to understand. That this day is coming. It will come. Like, like I recently had a bit of an uptick in the number of like fantasy novels I've been reading. Like it started with I reread the Chronicles of Narnia, and then I reread the Lord of the Rings, and like so it kind of just got me into this like kind of fantasy book mindset. It kind of continued from there. And one of the kind of the common setup of fantasy novels is this idea that like there's some prophecy that was made long ago. But it was so long ago that the people in the story have kind of stopped really believing that the prophecy was ever going to come true. But now the novel is set in the time when that prophecy is actually coming true. And the people are wrestling with the fact that like, the prophecy is actually real, even though we didn't believe in it. And I don't know about you, but, but I can do the same thing with Jesus' return sometimes. Like, in the back of my brain, like, yeah, I know that Jesus will return one day. But when it comes to how I live and how I act, sometimes I can tend to act in a way like, that I assume that everything is going to day after day just keep going on as it always 
has. I don't really take seriously the fact that Jesus will return one day. It's easy to take for granted that things will just continue the way they are. But the Bible tells us that one day Jesus will return. He will descend from heaven in glory. He will usher us into eternity. Like that day really is coming. So the question becomes, how do we live while we wait for that day? And that question really is what this passage that we just read in Matthew is all about. And Jesus said that those who are blessed by the Father, those who are righteous, those who are sheep, they will wait well by loving their brothers and their sisters. So listen again to verses 35 through 40. Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did you... Then when do we see a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So Jesus here tells us that the way we wait well is by showing love for our brothers and sisters. Whatever you, whenever you did one of the, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So just a couple of things for us to be aware of here. Right? First, like in the book of Matthew, or this is, every time Jesus talked about his brothers or his brothers and sisters, he's referring to one of two groups. Either his like biological half brothers So the children of Mary and Joseph. Or he's talking about his followers, his disciples. It can be easy to read this passage and conclude that the point is that we should be meeting the needs of people generally. Just wherever there's need, go and meet it. And there are certainly places in the Bible where that idea is taught. And we should certainly do those things. We should certainly meet needs where we see them. But we also want to be careful here right, to understand and respond to what Jesus says in this passage specifically. And what he is teaching us here is that like, we should have a special level of concern for our fellow Christians, for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. We should have a special level of concern in meeting their needs. And the reason for that, Jesus says, is that by showing love to our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are showing love to Christ himself. One of the truly amazing things about Jesus is how closely he identifies himself with the church, with those who are following after him. So in the book of Acts, Saul is persecuting the church. He's done his way to Damascus to kill or imprison Christians. And Jesus appears to him. And when Jesus appears to him, he says this. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not, why are you persecuting 
my followers. Right? Not why are you persecuting Christians, but why are you persecuting me? He, Jesus identifies himself with his followers that closely. Like elsewhere in the Bible, right? Jesus' followers are called right, the body of Christ. Now, like if my wife gives me a back rub, like I don't say like, "Gee, that was nice what you did for my back," but what are you gonna do for me? Like, like you can't separate the body from the self; they're that united together. Or likewise, like the church is called the bride of Christ. And if someone does an act of service for my wife, like I feel just as blessed as if they had done it for me, myself. Right? And so it is with us and Christ. Jesus so identifies himself with his followers that to love his brothers and sisters is to show love for him. And so that's what the righteous do in the passage. They show love to the brothers and sisters, the followers of Jesus. Like when they're aware, when these righteous people are aware of Christians who are in need of food or drink, or in need of companionship or clothing, or medical care, like they strive to meet those needs. And in so doing, they show love for Christ. That's how the righteous act. But there's, there's just one problem, which is this. Jesus says that it's the righteous who live this way. It is the righteous who go on to have eternal life. But elsewhere in the Bible we're told that there's no one righteous. Romans 3.10, for example, says there is no one righteous, not even one. So the question then becomes, if it is the righteous who do these things, but there is no one righteous, then how can I have any hope of doing them? How can I be enabled to wait well by loving my brothers and sisters if there's no one righteous? And it turns out like the question is not actually a how, but a but a who. And I, the question is like who enables us to wait well? And the answer is it's the Holy Spirit. So it's really easy to to read this passage and to come to the conclusion that if I want to be righteous, if I want to get brownie points with God, if I want to get into heaven, then I need to, then I need to love Jesus' brothers and sisters well. It's really easy to read this passage as if Jesus is saying, like, if you love my brothers and sisters well, right, then I'll give you eternal life instead of eternal punishment. And like, I don't know about you, but I at least have such a legalistic mindset. Like, I almost can't help but read that passage that way on first blush. Like, like I'm so inclined, like I'm so trapped in the thinking of like good deeds equal good consequences, bad deeds equal bad consequences, that I just like assume that surely that's what Jesus is saying here. Like, but that isn't the case. Listen again to verses 37 to 39. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? 
that Jesus said to the righteous. Like you guys, you guys get to inherit the kingdom of heaven. You get to have eternal life because of all the great things you did for me. And the response of the righteous is basically, uh, what? Like, we didn't do those things for you. Which even that response, right, is like a sign of how righteous they are. Like, I don't know about you, but if I was standing there and Jesus was praising me for something I didn't do, like, I wouldn't be inclined to tell him he's wrong. Right? Be like, yeah, sure, like, give me whatever praise you want. Like, I may not deserve it, but if you want to keep praise on me, like, sure, bring it on. But the righteous don't do that. But they point out to Jesus that they didn't actually do those things for him. And Jesus has to clarify for them that when they did those things for fellow Christians in need, they did it for him. And so here's, here's the point. Right, those people, those righteous, right, they weren't showing love and care for fellow Christians in order to earn their way into heaven. They weren't showing love. They weren't feeding the hungry and giving drinks to the thirsty and taking in prisoners. They weren't doing those things to earn brownie points with Jesus. They're, in fact, they're surprised that Jesus notices and gives them praise for it. So they weren't doing it to earn praise from Jesus. And the question becomes then, so then why were they doing those things if it wasn't to get praise from Jesus? And the answer seems to be that it was because it was a natural outflow of the kinds of people they already were. They had already been made righteous. And because they had been made righteous, the natural overflow of their righteousness was their love and their care for fellow Christians. And the way that we are made righteous is not through working hard to prove our righteousness. Because we have no righteousness of our own. As we said, like Romans 3.10 and plenty of other places make that clear. There is no one righteous. We can't prove our righteousness because we have no righteousness. So we need a righteousness that comes from outside ourselves. Just why, ultimately, Jesus is so important. Like, yes, he taught important things. He was a good teacher. But like, the reason Jesus is so important, ultimately, is because of what Paul said at the bottom in 2 Corinthians 5. In verse 21, Paul says, God made him, that Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our righteousness is not of ourselves, it is because we are in Jesus. Likewise, in Romans 5, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's only because Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life and died in our place for our sins and gave us His righteousness that we can have any hope of being counted among the righteous at the second advent. It's only because of what Jesus did for us that we can have any hope of being counted as a sheep and not a goat. 
When we follow Jesus, He takes our sin and gives us His righteousness. And at the same time, that the Holy Spirit then comes and lives in us and enables us to live the life that our old sinful self could not have lived. And it is only through that Holy Spirit at work in us that we can love and care for Jesus' brothers and sisters in the way that we're called to in this passage in Matthew. And like love for, love for fellow Christians throughout the Bible is continually held out. Not, not, not as a way to earn God's favor, but as evidence that God has already saved us. Probably no one makes this more clear than John in the book of 1 John. Just a couple, a couple passages from the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16-17. through 17. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? The love of God already in that person prompts them to have pity on their brothers and sisters in need. Or First John chapter 4, verses 7-8. through John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Being born of God is prerequisite to loving well, not vice versa. Now, First John chapter four, verses nineteen through twenty-one. We love because He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. We love because he first loved us. We love not to earn heaven, but as a natural outflow of the fact that he first loved us. So if you're, you're here this morning, or you're watching online, you're just like checking in, like hoping for, for tips and tricks to earn your way into heaven. I've got nothing for you. The only way to receive God's favor and to be counted among the righteous is to be made righteous by Jesus. But the good news is, all you need to do to be made righteous by Jesus is to place your faith in Him. It's not a five-step process. It's not do X, Y, and Z. It's place your faith in Jesus. And you will be made righteous. You will receive Jesus' righteousness for yourself. And your sins will be forgiven. If you're here, or you're watching, and you've not done that, like I would encourage you, and invite you, and implore you to do that. Trust in Jesus. Have your sins forgiven. Be made righteous. So that when this second advent happens, and it will happen, 
you will be counted among the righteous and you will go on to eternal life and not eternal punishment. Those of us who are here or who are watching and who have trusted, I'll just say this. Our faith, our having been made righteous, doesn't make it automatic. That we will automatically like, love our fellow Christians well. We still have our old sinful self kind of at war in us, trying to urge us to act out of selfish concern. We have to make a conscious choice to be obedient to what Jesus calls us to in this passage. So my encouragement for us is to fight that selfish tendency that we have welling up in us and to do the things that Jesus calls us to do in this passage. Be on the lookout. Be aware of brothers and sisters in need and seek to meet those needs. That may mean providing physical necessities like food and water and clothing. It may mean welcoming a stranger, showing friendship to someone in need of friendship. It may mean caring for the sick. It may mean visiting prisoners. And it may mean like doing that to fellow Christians right here in our community. Or maybe meeting needs for people who are affected by some natural disaster, such as the tornadoes in Kentucky not too long ago. Or it may mean like meeting needs of Christians in impoverished areas overseas. There are no end of needs that we can meet, and there needs to be a variety of Christians meeting those needs in a variety of ways. But the invitation and the encouragement of this passage is to let the Holy Spirit be at work in you, to prompt you, to move you, to be aware of the needs of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And then take action to meet those needs in whatever way you are so prompted. In doing those things, you are showing love to Christ Himself. Let's pray. Father God, just confess all the times that I put my selfish desires and wants ahead of meeting needs of my fellow brothers and sisters, meeting the needs of your body, meeting the needs of your bride. I just pray for each of us gathered here this morning who those of us who have the Holy Spirit at work in us, who have been saved by Jesus, who have been made righteous by Jesus. Would you prompt each of us as we go about our week to be keenly aware of the needs of our brothers and sisters around us, around the country and around the world. And we just we feel a deep longing, a deep desire flowing out of the righteousness you've given us. 
to meet those needs. You give us a desire to feed those who are in need of food, to give drink to those who are in need of drink, to clothe those who are in need of clothing. It's so easy living in our comfortable environment or comfortable setting to be blind to and naive of the suffering and the, the lack that so many Christians around the world have. Those who are persecuted, who are cut off from work, and able to earn money because of their faith. How would you give us a desire to grow in our awareness of those types of needs and then to find ways to effectively meet them? Not because we want to earn favor with you, not because we want to earn our way into heaven, but because we love you because you first loved us. We want nothing more than to act out of an overflow of the love you've poured into us. Father, we thank you and praise you that you loved us when there was nothing lovable in us, when we were rebelling against you. That Jesus came the first time to live a sinless life and die on the cross in our place, even when we were your enemies, when we were rebelling against you. You did not leave us in our sin, but you sent your Son. And as we wait for his second advent, his second coming, would we wait well? Would we wait expectantly? Would we wait patiently? Would we wait being faithful with the resources you have given us? We wait with the desire to love and care for our fellow brothers and sisters. We pray to in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you, you go from here, pray that you would go desiring earnestly to show love to those who are in need, and in so doing, show love to Jesus your Savior. You are dismissed.
presence we find us.